0: Well, it's time for you to put your tray tables up and your seats in the upright position because we are coming in for a landing on this series, all right? The power of your life. We've been talking about it for a couple of months now. The power of your life. The power of your life that as a result of you coming to faith in Jesus Christ, invested inside of you, the indwelling of the Word of God, the the presence of the Holy Spirit is a power that's waiting to be released. The power of your life. You have this power living inside of you. King David has served as such a productive example for us, hasn't he, in this study and the way that God put power inside of him. And he's uh, shown us that in addition to being content with your present situation as a shepherd, in, in addition to being able to slay giants as they come up, that there's, a, there's an incredible everyday power inside of you that can be released that will make a difference in the world. The power of relationship that you have inside of you, not just the ability to be socially or emotionally connected to somebody, but spiritually connected by the power of God that lives inside of you. The power of generosity, that it's not just an act of being nice, but that you actually release power and push back the devil when you're generous. You push him back. He hates it when you're generous. Have you noticed? You push him back. When you release the power of generosity, whether it be with your money, your stuff, or yourself, the power of generosity. We saw that David showed us that we have inside of us the power to do the right thing. That David had two opportunities to kill Saul, King Saul, who was trying to kill him, and he did the right thing. He held back, and he did the right thing. And because he did the right thing, he exercised the power to do the right thing. Then power was released into his life. Power was released into his life. And you look at the life of King David, remarkably powerful. You have that power inside of you to do the right thing. And it's not just about doing the right thing for ethics' sake or morality's sake, but because when you do the right thing, and when you give yourself to continuing to do the right thing, you release power. You release the power of God into your midst, into your circumstances. We saw last week, also through the life of King David, That we have the power to come back when we haven't done the right thing. And David, in spite of life largely of always doing the right thing, he had on his record the sin of adultery, followed by the sin of murder to try to cover up the adultery. But we saw how resident inside of him, because of his relationship with God, was the power to come back. And that Psalm 51 was that authentic, sincere expression and confession of his heart. And he came back. He came back, and you can come back. And we see people coming back here all the time, coming back to God, coming back to their faith in Him, coming back to the power of God in their lives. Today I'd like to complete the series by talking about the power of praise. The power of praise, that there is actual power inside of you waiting to be released by the release of your praise to God. Did you hear that? That the power of God is released into our midst by the praises of his people. That when God's people praise him together, his power is released into the room, into the midst. And the more people, and the more authentic, and the more exuberant the praise expression, the more power that is released. This is the truth of scripture. We see it in the life of David. You'd have to say that David was a man of extreme praise, wouldn't you? Of the 150 psalms in your Bible, in the middle of your Bible, David was responsible for 78 of them, more than half of them. Those songs of praise. Sometimes they start out as songs of desperation, don't they? Oh God, where'd you go? Why have you rejected us? Why have you burst forth upon us? And then by seven, eight verses later, he's going, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Rejoice! Praise the Lord! Right? And we see this process. He's a man of extreme praise, starting where he truly is, but going to the place where God truly is. David was always ready to give praise to God in any and every circumstance, whether he's in the palace and the safety of the the palace as king, or whether he's standing before the giant. He gave praise to God. He said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and javelin and spear, but I come against you in the name of the living God whose armies you have defied. Boom. Boom. And the release of that praise, the expression of the power of God, then the power of the Lord is released into his midst. There was a release of God's power in David's life as he consistently praised him. As he consistently praised him, there was a release of God's power. One of my favorite examples of the extreme praise of David is found in your Bibles in 2 Samuel chapter 6. How'd you know I was going there, if you've been reading that part, right? I love this passage, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and what's happening in this passage, if you don't know where that is in your Bible, it's right there, okay? I'm going to give that about 9 ths of an inch from the beginning, all right? You got a lot left afterwards, so you're just getting going, just getting good. 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is the account of the Ark of the Covenant being brought back to Jerusalem. Now the Ark of the Covenant, as many of you know, this was the central article of worship for the Jews. This was the central article of worship. This was the focal point. This is before Jesus. It's what they had to focus on before Jesus came, released his spirit, so that we don't have to go to a central place and look at a central thing, but we can live in the company of Jesus. But it was before that. And so they had, as a shadow, if you will, as a, as a preview of the coming Christ, they had this Ark of the Covenant thing, and it was precious to them. And in the interim between the judges and, king, and their first king, there was a battle, and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant away from them, and they held on to it. Well, it was gone through the whole reign of King Saul, King David comes, what's the first thing, one of the first things he wants to do? Let's get that ark back. We know we can take Philistines, right? And uh, so he goes and he gets it back. And there's just a fascinating account of coming back, and they're bringing it on a cart, and some guys are kind of guiding the cart. One of the oxen stumbles, and uh, this guy named Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the cart. And God strikes him down. Man. Is God confusing sometimes? God strikes him down for grabbing that cart. There were strict, strict instructions about how this cart was to be handled. Probably well-meaning. Oh, don't let it fall. Boom. One of my dear friends told me many years ago, he said, don't ever try to steady what God means to tumble. Oh, now you go, that's why you didn't come rest to rescue me, huh, Tom? Don't ever try to steady what God means to tumble. God has purpose in it. God has purpose, even in, the, even in those times. So anyway, this goes on, and David has this discussion about, I'm not sure I want this ark thing. And he says, yeah, you do. And he says, all right, let's get her home. And they had this way of taking every few steps and going, ta-da-da, ta da just worshiping and praising God. Well, by the time he gets near Jerusalem, he's stripped down to his ephod. Yeah, I'm saying I like to think of a linen ephod as like a, a onesie for a grown-up. <laughs> Don't try to picture it right now. You'll, you'll never be the same if you do. Just put it out of your mind right now. But David, it says, he's stripped all the way down to his linen ephod, and he's praising God. He's rejoicing. He's rejoicing, extreme rejoicing. He gets back, and one of his, his first wife, Michal, Daughter of King Saul, that's an interesting story. Saul gave him Michal to try, to try to cause him to stumble. Try to be, treacherously gave his daughter to David to try to get to him and it didn't work. See, when God's got you, try as you will. You may cause problems for a person, but you're not going to conquer them. You're not going to conquer them. And you're not going to be conquered when God has you. Right? So he's coming back, and Michal is in the window and sees him coming, and goes, "Oh my gosh, what is he doing now?" He's dancing in his underwear. That's what he's doing, and he is—it's extreme praise time. And so she has this big problem when David returned, verse twenty, to home to bless his household. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, "Well, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today." You ladies take classes in this kind of commentary, or does that just come naturally? Wow, how you have distinguished yourself, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Man, David didn't take it. He said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, by the way or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. By these slave girls you you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. And it's just extreme praise. Extreme praise. And God fought his battles. God was always there because David was always releasing praise. As he expressed his praise, God was releasing power. Another power example of, of this very same truth is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you want to start heading toward the back, not too far, half an inch or so, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And in this, uh, this we see the, the account of King Jehoshaphat of, of jumping fame, apparently. I don't know. Where else that phrase would have come from, but uh, King Jehoshaphat, another powerful example, and he was the king of Judah. By this time, Israel and Judah had divided into two, two separate entities, and uh, Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. And in verse, verse 1, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some bunch of otherites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. They, all these people came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom. A vast army. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. They came from every town in Judah to seek him. So their response to this overwhelming army that was coming on little Judah was what? Sharpen your spears, practice your drills, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And there's this great prayer of Jehoshaphat then. And then if you keep reading down through there, you'll see that uh, God raises up, uh, in verse 14, the prophet Zechariah. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Zechariah, and uh, keep reading, a Levite, the of Asaph, and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, verse 15, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Did you know that? the battle is not yours, it's God's. I mean, you can fight it if you want, but why would you, right? He says, the battle isn't yours, it's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them, and they'll be climbing up, et cetera, et cetera. He says, go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. When Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. What was their response? They fell down in what? Worship. Then some Levites They cried out in a loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. They set out, and Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, listen, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. They went out in front of the army to do what? To sing praises to God. Saying, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they, verse 22 now. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and, uh, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. There's a perfect expression. You know? They said, the battle's not ours. The battle's the Lord's. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. And as they praised him, the power of God was released in front of them. They had a choice to fret, they had a choice to depend on their own strength, they had a, fret to, uh, a choice to turn away from the Lord, but they sought the Lord, and in seeking the Lord, they praised the Lord, and in praising the Lord, His power was released. Would you like a New Testament example? Say yeah. Okay, Acts chapter 16, one of my favorites, Acts chapter 16. So Paul and his cohort, they're running through around doing the gospel thing, and they get to Philippi, and there's this, there's this demon-possessed woman who uh, comes up to them and is bothering them. And so just almost out of, because she's annoying, Paul casts this demon out of her, bam. Well, the owners of this woman get mad because it was this demon that was making them money because she could tell fortunes. And so they, they were brought before the magistrates, and they were thrown into jail. So we see that in verse 22 of Acts 16. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. They're just in It's inescapable. They're not getting out of this. So what do they do? What do they, what do, they do next? What's it say in verse 25? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They decided, let's praise God. Let's praise God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he freaked. He drew his sword. And he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Remember, he was told, you watch these guys carefully. That means if they're gone in the morning, you're dead. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're right here. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked men, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, like everybody else. Goes home with him, has dinner with him, shares the gospel with his family. The whole family gets baptized. You see, the power of God, why was the power of God displayed? Because of the praise. As they chose to praise God in the midst of that circumstance, they praised God, and the power of God was released, and the incredible thing happened. The incredible thing happened, including the power to save. Including the power, power to save. There's power from heaven waiting to be released in your life, and you hold the key. You hold the key. The key is praise. Repeatedly, you'll see this played out in the Bible. Praise God and His power shows up. Withhold your praise and fight your own battles. That's pretty much the deal, isn't it? Praise God and His power shows up. Withhold your praise. Resist praising God. You'll have to fight your own battles. Let me ask you this. How well is that working out so far? You might say, why does it work like that? Here's my theory. Want to know my theory? Say, yeah, because I'm going to give it anyway. in. I'll say, yeah. I think it works because, if there's a mechanism, because in praising God, we are stepping in to the fulfillment of our created purpose. And when we step into the fulfillment of our created purpose, then creation is set back in order. You know, sin came and interrupted the order of creation, right? And when we come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ and then praise him in any and every circumstance, then we are stepping back in to the very purpose for which we are created. The Bible says that God calls us out of darkness into his wonderful light, that we may give him praise. Okay. When we do this, we're stepping into the created purpose, we're restoring the created order, and God's power is released, which was his intention on the earth in the, from the beginning, right? And only sin interrupted that. In Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declared the glory of God, and the firmament proclaimeth his handiwork. That the whole place, the whole thing was created to praise God, right? And when we praise God, we step back into that place. And we restore, we restore, we take our part in the chain of restoration of the creation. And God's power is released. Remember when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday on the foal of a donkey? They were throwing the palm branches and their coats down and stuff, and they were crying out loud, Hosannas. Everybody was off the hook in praise. You remember that? Did you get that far? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, you got that far? And what did the Pharisees say? They said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And his response was, I could, but if I do, even the rocks will cry out. Even the stones will sing praise to me. Because this is the purpose of creation, is to give praise to God. Is to give praise to God. And so when we give praise to God we step back in as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We can retake our position, not fallen anymore, but restored. Is this making sense? And we're taking our place, the purpose of our creation. Have you ever noticed how the churches that seem to have the most visible manifestations of the power of God are often those that are also characterized by their exuberant expressions of praise to God? Have you ever noticed that? Now I'm not saying I know that all that glitters is not gold. I get that. I wasn't born yesterday. So I'm not saying that everything we hear as a report of the move of God is necessarily that. But you gotta, you gotta make, you gotta note that it seems like the churches that are able to report God is moving in our midst. Look what God is doing, look what God has done, are tend to be the very same churches that have the most exuberant expressions, consistent, exuberant expressions of praise to God? Could there be a connection? Hmm, I think so. Why is it that the people in your life who tend to report being a witness to the manifest power of God are typically also those who have developed a life of consistent praise in any and every circumstance? Have you noticed that? That those who say, you know what I just saw God do, are the same ones who are quick to praise God. They've developed a lifestyle of consistent praise. Now flip that over. Why is it that the people in your life who say they do not tend to see the power of God displayed or experienced tend to be the same ones who have not developed a lifestyle of consistent praise? Have you noticed that? Could there be a connection? The connection is the power is in the praise. That's a little catchy. The power is in the praise. Would you like to say that? I think you would. The power is in the praise. The power of God is released by the praises of his people. So the key to releasing the power of God into your life is to learn to praise him in any and every circumstance. Any and every circumstance, praise him. Do you have a great job and your bills are paid and your cups are running over? Then praise God. Are you drowning in debt, or have you lost your income and not sure what's going to happen next? Then praise God. Are you living in the sweet spot of a wonderful covenant marriage? Then praise God. Are you living in a disconnected and unhappy relationship that you can't seem to fix? Then praise God. Are you strong and healthy, and is your body firing on all eight cylinders? Then praise God. Are you broken and bruised, or has a threatening illness found a stronghold in your body? Then praise God. Praise God in any and every circumstance is the teaching of the Scripture. And I think it would be fair for you to ask, how can I praise God on both sides of that coin? How can I praise God when I'm on the downside of life? How can I praise God when my life is characterized by hardship or even threat? Here's the secret. Are you ready? Here's the secret. Praising God is never about you. It's always about God. Praising God is never, ever about you. It's always about God. Praising God is never connected to our circumstances because it is always about God and never about us. So the circumstances do not affect our praise of God. When did King Jehoshaphat command the people to praise God? When this vast army was encroaching. They said, this seems like a great time to praise God. When did Paul and Silas Praise God. When they were in prison for a crime they didn't commit, they said, this seems like a great time to praise God. And you see, I think many of you know that there's an important difference between giving praise and offering thanksgiving. We passionately give praise to God simply for who He is, while thanksgiving is what we offer in appreciation for what He does. And you may be in a season of your life right now. You may have some circumstances that cause you to believe that you don't have much to thank God for. You're entitled to that. Then praise Him. Then praise Him. Because no matter what's going on in your life, God is still God. Vast army encroaching on your life in various ways? Then praise God. Are you tied up in prison for something you didn't do? Then praise God. The tricky part of this is that you will never have much of anything to truly give thanks for until until you've first given him praise. Because how does it work? Praise God, then the power of God is released. Well, then you have something to be thankful for, right? But you've got to start by praising God. So when the trumpet is sounded at the church, at this church on Sunday or any Sunday morning, you have exactly two choices. You can realize that praise is always about God so that no matter if you've had a great work week or received the worst news of your life, you'll get over yourself and you'll reach down and you'll lift up your voice in praise to God. Or you can remain in your pride and effectively say, when God does what I want him to do, then I'll praise him. You can shove your hands into your pockets and wait for this whole thing to be over with. Hope I'm funny along the way or something to make it entertaining. If you choose option one, then you will actually release the power of God into your circumstances. You'll release the power of God into your circumstances. And into the circumstances of those you love and care about. You see, it's not just about you. But if you choose option two, then you are willfully rejecting the power of God from being released into your presence before you. When you say, I ain't doing that, that's just not the way I'm wired, you're playing into the devil's hand. You are perfectly free to worship God authentically from your personality and only you know if you're worshiping God or not. But I'm saying, when you, re- when you resist worshiping God, you make your life worse. You play into the devil's lie. You play into the devil's lie. This is a lie that he started in the garden and one that he's been retooling and recycling with every generation. And the lie is, you really need God. Will God really ever do anything for you? Want to find out? Power's in the praise. Praise God. It's what you were made for. It's what you were made for. It's why you're here. Praise God. Praise God. It's where you're headed. Did you know that? Boy, wouldn't it suck to show up in heaven, everybody's praising God, and you don't know how to do it? (laughs) You've never done it? I mean, think about that. It's where we're going. I don't think heaven's going to be the never-ending church service, but I think it's going to be substantially about praising God. And the power of God is waiting to be released, and you hold the key to this release. You hold it. And the more of you who praise God, no matter what your circumstances are, the more power we will see. The more power we will see, the more our circumstances will change. You hold that key. You hold the key for the release of God's power. How many of you, like me, In sometime in your life, you've lost your car keys, you've looked everywhere, only to find them hanging in the ignition? <laughs> Has that ever happened to anybody but me? They were right there. They were right there. They were right there. You're searching everywhere for them. Oh, I must need to do this, I must need to do that. And they were right there, waiting for you. How many of you have been searching for the power of God, the manifest power and presence of God to be displayed in your life? Oh, I must go here, I must go there, I must read this, I must read that, I must do this, I must do that. Keys are in the ignition, guys. It's the power of your praise. Come on, you guys. Let's do this thing. I just wonder what would happen. If we could re- release and praise for a little while here and see what power comes up, see what body could be healed, see what person could be saved, see what person could be delivered from the circumstances that the devil has pushed them into. Keys are in the ignition. Keys are in the ignition. You can spend the rest of your life searching the house for your keys. Keys. But the key to the release of God's power in our midst is the expression of your praise. Let's stand together and worship the Lord. Do whatever you want.